0: Hello everyone, how are we doing? I am Ed Malian and this is the Indie Football Podcast. After a fairly eventful weekend of Premier League action, we are back and we are here to discuss the biggest issues of the day and in fact week. As ever, you are saved from the monotony of me doing this alone by the presence of two greater men and one of them is the Independence Chief Sports writer Jonathan Liu. Hi. That's uh, yeah, good timing. And the other one is the Independent football writer, Miguel Delaney.
1: Yep. Hi. Enthusiastic hi from Jonathan there.
0: No, both of you incredibly happy to be here. Miguel, as always, uh, late. Uh, come on. Uh, I, was, uh, I, was, so I,
1: I actually had a good reason this morning. <laughs> uh,
0: yes. Uh, it took him 16 minutes to get here from the tube. But where <laughs> should we start? I think uh, we should probably start chronologically at the beginning of the weekend, on which I believe is uh, it's another stretch of 10 days in a row where we've got Premier League... Or Champions League, of Europa mm. every single day um, with Monday night and Friday night kickoffs this week. So Saturday lunchtime, yeah. Manchester United going to Liverpool, the the two most decorated teams in in English football, the the two biggest clubs you could say, um, and the worst derby fixture there is at the moment, right, Miguel?
1: W- yeah, I think in terms of all those top six. I mean, I did a piece on Saturday before the game or on Friday, about how, for a nice, basically over a decade. This fixture has actually been mostly pretty dreary and grim, and I do think that an element of that has been that it's almost become so big and so pressurised that that's kind of fed into it. That like players are almost afraid to make mistakes, which makes Jose Mourinho precisely the wrong manager to be in charge of one of the teams for one of these games. If you want, if you don't want it to get any drearier, because he amped this up completely, and we saw that on Saturday. I mean, I think it was actually a lot worse than last season's game, the famous Dead Monday. Um, or infamous that Monday, just because you could understand Mourinho setting up his team like he did in that initial game, because it, w- it still wasn't his United side. They actually had a rocky start to the season at that point, although they won the first three games. They would defeat at Watford, and it looked like it was going to go under, off the rails a little bit, but he, so he kind of needed to stabilise. But this time, they're on form, they're his team, they're playing a Liverpool side who are, who are eighth, who are missing their best attacker, whose defence is... You know, you know whatever want to say about it. We very suspect, susceptible, and he sets up like that. I don't think there's any excuse. All, all the, you see a lot of this, a lot of this talk. Oh, um, you know, playing for a draw and getting, getting a team to execute a game plan like that. You know, it's a very difficult thing to do. Why, why do I play for the win? I mean, it's, I, I see it's, your point.
0: I, I think, but if you look at it like over the season, that you know they got two games against Liverpool, who should be a team in the top four there or thereabouts. And you get the draw away from home. You get the win at home. You're taking four out of the six points. You're doing fine. I think the only problem, obviously, is that Man City look a bit like a steamroller. And on a weekend when when City, obviously their result is impressive in terms of the amount of goals they scored, winning 7-2 against Mm. Stoke. You don't actually... You don't kind of win and lose the title in games against Stoke. Well, you win and lose yeah. the title in the games against the, the, I, I, the Big Six. At this
1: point, it ha- I think it has flipped in that regard. The Big Six, Big Six games have become more important. I mean, okay, Liverpool had the best record in the Big Six last season, but then their form was so pronounced against the bottom 14 that obviously became another issue. But Chelsea still won kind of like a critical mass of those games against the rest of the Big Six, which I'm not sure United will. Um and, and I think the contrast with City and how they're going to look like they're going to score so many goals and their boy win so many games is all the more important just because it, 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 it wasn't even that Mourinho went for a draw in this match. It was what this whole match said about how he views football in contrast to what we expect should be the champions, I suppose.
2: Well, the way that City are going, I mean, United are not going to win the title unless they get one point more. Than City and the way City are going, it, they could quite easily win 30 games a season. We c- you could be, uh, they could be on to 93, 94 points. It could be a, a situation where, like, like in 2012, where United ended up with 89 points and finished finished up second. If if you're accepting that you need 93, 94 points to win the title, mm. why are you just giving away two points as easily as that? Yeah,
0: yeah, completely. But on the day, they were. I mean, on the day, Liverpool were the better side. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Uh, they had the better chances. They control. They
1: control the game. Although, I don't think we should um, so are o- you, overlook flaws in Liverpool cr- or a fair criticism of them either. Like they, they they've got a few issues there.
0: No, they, they do for sure. But but I think everyone knew Liverpool were a flawed side coming mm. into this, whereas Manchester United were coming in as as the favourites and title contenders. Yeah. So, you know, could it not just be that Liverpool were the better side on the day? You know, is that was that down well, to Mourinho's well, game plan?
1: Yeah, I think it was down to Mourinho's game. We, like we don't we don't know. Um. <laughs> but this game had such a specific uh, dynamic to it that it, it was it was just it was set up for Liverpool to be the better side. The question then was whether to get the actual goal, and ultimately they didn't get the goal because of typical brilliance from David de Gea.
0: I mean, Manchester United are obviously still in a, a strongish position, um, but do you think? I mean, uh, it, it makes you wonder now how he's going to approach the trip to the Etihad. Yeah. Um, how is he going to approach you know, some of the more we're, difficult we're, we're away gonna, trips?
1: We're going to see all the, all these away games will be the same against the top. It.
2: It's almost like a compulsion. He doesn't know
0: another way of, of playing. But this it's, is how he's had his, his, his success. But you know, isn't you, it? But you know you, well, yeah, he's been. What's the most famous Mourinho game you can think of for me? It's 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 game. Into Barcelona. But,
1: but this, see, this is a key difference. In that match, he had something to defend, he had a lead to defend from what was an admittedly brilliant counter-tracking performance in the first game. What does he have to defend now? There's a key difference there. I I've seen a lot of like United fans go on in the last few days, especially in response to the piece I did, criticising Mourinho's post-game comments about oh, oh, Fer- you know, Fergie set up like this. You know, he said, well, first of all, when Ferguson set up like that at Liverpool, he got two wins, two seasons in a row, the, uh, the John O'Shea game and the Tevez game, and always, even even when Ferg- Ferguson played counter-attacking football like that or played a more constrained game, there was always more attacking to it. Secondly, there's a I think there's a bigger issue here, and Mourinho's comments about. Um, PSG are relevant in this regard and that to a certain extent Mourinho cares more about his personal legacy than whether his team will succeed. So say a a classic example here, the the 6-1 against Man City. Uh, At a certain point in that game, Ferguson basically decided, right, we may as well just go for it. We're going to try and rescue you this game. And he didn't really care about getting humiliated. Well, he obviously cared but like, you know... Him losing 3-1 was the same as 6-1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. whereas... Whereas Mourinho, you'd never, never... Because uh, sometimes it feels like it's more important that Mourinho's personal legacy is intact in rather than kind of the
2: overall ambitions of the club. Which kind of makes you wonder whether he thinks that if he finishes a good second to City this season, maybe wins a cup, whether he feels that's defensible for his legacy.
0: Yeah. I I'd, I think he, he... It'd be interesting, that scenario, which is obviously a very realistic scenario, to, to see how he squares it with himself almost because it does sometimes feel like he tries to convince himself of, mm. of these things and it, you know whether he points to the amount of money they spent compared to United, which is about the same. I yeah, guess. yeah. Well, to be fair, uh, uh, City, City have spent more than
1: But then, like, uh, we, we do, again, when it, when it comes to clubs of that size and in this in this modern game, again, there's like, almost like a critical mass of spending. Once you're spending a lot of money, it's just... It's
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the difference between spending yeah.
1: 400 and 300 mil? Yeah, it's about a certain player at a certain price.
2: The other point I mean I w- I'd want to make is that seeing as United de- derive so much of their income these days from essentially being an entertainment product, mm. being being a, a vehicle for for advertising, for for commercial income, you have to wonder what if you're you know if you're one of the Glazers or if you're one of United's sponsors watching that game and thinking, is this the sort of yeah. product we want to we want to identify our brand with?
0: But are they even really an entertainment product anymore? It's just I mean it's just a but as a vehicle, isn't it? It's just a vehicle. The the entertainment argument I guess they would claim that they've been entertaining this season because of the amount of goals they've scored. A lot of those scores have been very misleading. But
1: exactly. And and there was a comment again, I said in that piece after the game. The comment Mourinho made after they didn't they didn't give us the chance to open up. They didn't change the structure of the game which allowed us to uh, to then counter it or to attack. Uh, or something along those lines. That's not that's not exact uh, exact wording. But that was pretty much what happened in their, in their 4 4 nils. They went ahead, fair enough, but then it caused a change in structure to the opposition that kind of played into United's hands. And again, it comes back to this whole idea that he's ultimately is just a reactive manager in this in that sense. And I, I mean, some, I sometimes wonder whether they're going a bit too harsh, and especially given their start here. But it, it was just so frustrating watching it, and spoke to what I think are so many fairer concerns about Mourinho in 2017 compared to Mourinho in 2005. Say, and what sums it up as well. I think I think his whole t- his his thought process. Or sorry, his the way he, de- he deals with Martial basically reveals his whole thought process. This is an attacker, you know, a, a really flamboyant player who could well be w- with the next few years one of the top five attacking players in the world. And Mourinho doesn't seem to fully trust him because of, because of his defensive work.
2: Martial's a he'll be
0: playing left back with a few years. The future actually Young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, he has always been that. I mean, that is when you when but you Jose. The they, they had Anthony Martial already at the club. Mm. And then they hired Jose Mourinho. They know that's part and parcel of what you get. Um, I know you've done a lot on this before. In terms of uh, when Jose Mourinho had most of his success, yeah. there were just far fewer goals scored, and and being uh, a defensive slash reactive manager mm. was was more conducive to success, really. And then after '08, yeah. really was the watershed when Pep Guardiola came in. The amount of goals you needed to score to get to the Champions League yeah. semi-finals was, was significantly increased, and and then that began a kind of a, a, a more fallow time for him. I guess the whole time at Real Madrid, he won a title at Chelsea, but. Do we think at United, he is actually capable of, of... Do you think he will... One, do you think he will adapt to this slightly different game that he finds himself in now? Mm. Or do you think he will just manage to kind of bludgeon through and have success playing his way, but it will be a more measured success and he'll never ever win the league or, Premier league, or league or Champions League for Manchester United?
1: I think it's a little bit of both. I actually say he's more likely to win the Champions League than the league, just because I think to win the league would probably require both city and chelsea you now that's presuming they kind of stay with the current managers both city and chelsea to um to have particularly bad seasons um the champions league again it's it, they're they're united are one of the wealthiest clubs they're, they're Champions are high variance yeah, as well yeah isn't yeah it? that's exact, that's exactly it. Yeah. and I, so I wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't rule them out kind of winning the title completely and i i think I mean, let, 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 let's not go too far here. There's still enough qualities about a man who is one of the greatest managers of all time to be competitive to a certain level. But I, my, my issue would be at that, that kind of key finer points what really elevates teams now at this point is I think it's his ideal approach is a bit too far removed from what we're seeing elsewhere at other elite teams. I mean, if, if, if you think about it, the two major revolutions in the game in the last decade, so that's peak, were basically pressing and possession and he has well he almost has an aversion to both I not necessarily pressing but the, the style of pressing are the kind of
0: I get the impression he's irked you a little this weekend um with his performance when you compare it to Manchester City who were so destructive against Stoke um I saw uh, I mean a lot of praise for obviously Guardiola's team but is this does this result actually mean that much for city though you know it's a big win but it's, well, uh, it's a it's a game they were going to win anyway.
1: I suppose it's has kind got of, it's the totality of the performance, almost just how over like how ridiculously they are. still conceded two goals yeah. as well. I have been wondering though, are we going a little bit overblown over what might be a short, period, you know, short spell of form? But I'm, I'm, what do you make of that?
2: Well, it's uh, is it three consecutive home games they won by five goals, and so the next team that goes to the Etihad, I think it's I think it's Burnley, yeah, uh, this weekend. Teams that go to the Etihad in the next few weeks are suddenly thinking, well. We're going to need to score three or
0: four to but to even. Even have Pellegrini's a shot. Man City, they used to spank teams at home every week. I I always felt that Man City at home were kind of probably the, one of the best teams in the league for two or three seasons because
1: la, la, I think last two seasons have. It just it just feels like something deeper has clicked this year. And to Pellegrini, they were brilliant in that first season, but they were still they still
2: felt a bit ropey. I mean, they. Uh, well, I mean, in that. the the Pellegrini title winning season when they scored, I don't know, was it 100 goals they scored? Yeah, Yeah, they went over 102, was it? That was was some scintillating football. Um, And they did it with, uh, you know, the players that that have been doing it for them for for, for several years. Mm. And for the fact that he's doing it kind of with a, almost a completely new team, suggests that something yeah. more fundamental well, has, has changed.
1: There. I, also, in terms of that fundamental as well, I mean, from what we hear, I mean, with Pellegrini, there was very much an element of, <laughs> let them go out and play. So when they were on good form...
0: I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah,
1: but, but, but the issue, when they were on form, I meant good players could really link up and you know express themselves. But the problem was then, those days where it just kind of wasn't working, there was no you know system to fall back on, nothing they could do to kind of line. whereas what's been so key with Guardiola is that there's very... Uh, very very sophisticated system in place maybe one of the most sophisticated we've ever seen in football because of how difficult it is to learn and apply and at the moment it's just producing irresistible uh, effect
0: I guess, I guess the other big result from Saturday uh, well in fact there were two but Crystal Palace beating Chelsea was one that uh, was not expected um
1: Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash
0: aware. I think now we're looking at Chelsea and is it, do, you, do you think it's fair to say that their title race is over already? I think They're, like, nine, they're nine points back from City.
1: I think they like go going to run, but yeah, it looks... It looks Again, you come back to the squad depth. I mean, you, you were there. I, I yeah, still yeah. haven't properly seen it.
0: Well, uh, I talking to Conte as well afterwards and... You know, he didn't. He, he he never does expressly say anything, and sometimes he, I feel he can hide a little bit behind we the think. language barrier. Yeah, but he, th- they were completely outplayed by Palace as well. They had a they had a, a little spell. Palace flew out the blocks. First fifteen minutes were completely dominant and could have scored two or three times, um, but didn't. And then they uh, go ahead for a you know a proverbial backside goal that could buy one that went home via two defenders. Chelsea equalised via a really soft corner where they've got th- they've only got three guys forward for it, and there are six defenders. And Bakayoko just rises above everyone and heads home. Palace is shot to pieces, confidence gone because you know they've lost seven games in a row, and they can see this coming. But they still Chelsea still couldn't assert themselves in the game. They were very poor. Bachiwai was dreadful, and they wouldn't. We we were asked, asked him a lot of questions about Bachiwai, and he wouldn't go in on the one player you know he said we're all bad we're all bad but he kept dropping references to the fact that he felt he didn't have enough options he said I've only got Morata and Bashoi so Morata's out injured Mm. that's what this is what they've got they lost Mm. Kante They, they, they missed Kante so much um for this game but but really it was a strong side and they should have done better they just did not look good at all now consider they've just been bodied by Manchester City as well in their last Premier League game beaten by Palace they go into Wednesday and, it, and they could beat Roma and they've got full control of their Champions League group and it just starts to feel now that they're probably, because their squad is a little bit thin, they're probably better placed to challenge for the Champions League I think than the Premier League. Well,
1: that's, I mean, from, from someone that was up both games, how how do you square? the fact, it's so conspicuous that they followed basically what people are saying was their most complete performance in Europe ever against Atletico Madrid to the last two matches.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah, uh, at Atletico, they were just brilliant but they but I guess that it felt like they put a lot of work into that performance, that they really prepared for playing against the Simeone teams. I think you have to, but they 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 found all the weak spots and there aren't many weak spots in a Simeone team. They found all of them and they, they play really well. And then in the end, it's a, you know the last kick of the game that they won the game with. But to be so utterly dominated by City as they were, and then to come out and play so poorly here, I, I noted in um, the, the follow-up I wrote yesterday that the last time they lost two Premier League games in a row was mm. when he did made the big change last year, the one that won them the league, the 3-4-3. But the difference is he had the time to do that on the training field because they didn't have European football. And he had a week where he could like hammer that into the players. Now, Gary Cahill was talking after the game and he was saying, you know, like obviously you hate losing and we've just got to get back on the training field and work it out. But... You just don't have the time to work these yeah. things out. You can't well, you can't make big changes like that.
1: Fa- I don't think there's anything fundamentally wrong with the system though. No, it, no I it, don't either. It, it works fine. It's just it's it's the effect of European football in a different way. It's just the kind of you know, he needs to rotate more. He
0: doesn't he, I mean their squad
1: depth is just
0: Well we said at the start of the season they just don't have enough mm. players to do what what he wants to do for sure. And I think he really wanted to qu- kind of challenge for the Champions League and the Premier League this year. And and the Premier League, they just look so far back from City already. This result is poor. They've got a tough game against Rome. I guess having a tough Champions League group actually is a difference as well because mm. if you get kind of one of these easier ones yeah. where, where you've got one team to worry about and then yeah, yeah, Basel and whoever, then it, it's, it's a much easier time whereas they've got Roma, Atletico Madrid, another difficult team I can't actually remember. And <laughs> is, uh, Le- is it Leon? karabakh no. It's difficult in terms of travelling. Oh, that's right. So it's, it's basically a three-team group. It's yeah. a three-team group with Roma and like Atletico like Madrid. And they could easily, you know, the, the whole thing during the Atletico game, I, I was thinking, basically, the the point is really good. It, the point is good yeah. because it gives you the advantage in what is essentially a three-team group. And then when they get the winner, they, they're they kind of in charge now. Win at home to Roma, you're going to be at that one, Johnny. And that's going to be a big result for them. But, the weird thing is that he's never actually had that good a record in European competition. Yeah. You looked one, into that one.
1: One semi-final in the Europa League. Now, he hasn't had too many seasons in Europe to be fair. Is that the
0: Roy Hodgson? No, no, no. no. That, was, that was way pretty, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the other the other
2: big difference between this season and last season, apart from the Champions League football and, and, and the schedule, is that last season he was kind of able to play on their wounded pride after what had gone on yeah. in, in, that, in that last Mourinho season. He was able to, to, to come out and, and it was about this time last year. He was saying, if you don't buck your ideas up, you're going to have another season like last season. The dynamic this season, when they're coming off a season as champions, is very, very different. And you can't really push those same emotional buttons. And I think what, what you're, you're seeing from from what he's saying, even though the words are kind of quite similar, we just need to work hard, we need to go back and work hard, uh, there's almost a kind of... It's almost like a cry for help. The tone is, is, is slightly different, where he's thinking, I am not quite sure... What's happening here? Whereas I think last season he was he was a lot more in control. He's like, we just need to get them onto the training ground and and work on the system. And he had faith that it would be fine. I don't get that same kind of certainty from him this season. Yeah. Well,
1: I, I last season was kind of to a degree because of what had gone on. there was that blank canvas work and imposing a new system and it had immediate kind of medium to long term effects. Whereas now it's no longer blank. There's the, the pictures there. So now there are kind of other complications. It's it's not as kind of clean to deal with.
2: Yeah. And and I think you know the what happened with Costa over the summer, uh, what's happened with the board over the recruitment, I think has sort of muddied the waters a little bit. They're not quite the same united group. And, and you saw this right from the very first game of the season at Burnley, where they just kind of lost their heads almost from the from the, the start. There isn't the same composure and unity of vision that there was last season, and that's a huge problem for him to solve. And they, they will be able to get themselves up for big games like Atletico, but they're not going to win the league until they 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 get that unity of,
0: of vision back. Hmm. He did say I was, I was trying to find I've got the actual transcript here. I should find the exact thing he said, but he but he essentially said this isn't going to be our year. You know, he he <laughs> was he was pretty downbeat. He said that you know, this season will be very difficult for us for this reason we have to put 150% in. We know 100% won't be enough. Um he he says like Jonathan says. I've got players with a great will to work and fight. We just have to fight and find their strength. You know, these are the basics. He, he loves a bit of that, doesn't he? Fighting, it, it, it's you've got the, you know the lionheart thing. Yeah. Um, but they did basically just not look very good against a pretty bad team That's as the,
1: well. In the last two weeks, know, our last two games, they've lost to the, the team in the best form of the league and the team in the worst.
0: Yeah, but I, I, I think I last. think Hodgson he said that he thinks he's ahead of schedule at Palace now. Like in terms of that was exactly the performance that he and his coaching staff have been trying to drill into them for the last two weeks. And he's only been there for a month. Whereas at Fulham, it took it took him like two or three months to really get that clicking performance that they were after. And to be honest, I think it, it just really helps that Wilfred Zahar's back because yeah. in 2017, he's been one of the best players in the Premier League. Um, and he's playing out of position with no centre forward to aim for. And he was brilliant yeah. against, against the back three of, of top level defenders as well. And he managed to occupy them all, which is important. And in the second half, I mean, he was obviously not fully fit yet. In the second half, he was blowing and he was twice put through on goal, like one on one in counter attack situations. And, and he knew he wasn't going to be able to outrun like, the defender. Like, and it was Gary Cahill, David Louise, it's not a, a sprinter by any means. And he just kind of cuts back or, or looks for a pass instead of driving forward and killing the mm-hmm. game when he's fully fit again, he's going to be very dangerous. I think as a, as a central forward, which you guess is where he'll play until someone comes back. So there's a little bit of hope for Palace, but I came out a bit more thinking that Chelsea's title race might be over. Um, Watford got a big win against Arsenal as well. Marcus, you were
1: Marcus, next uh, next Chelsea slash Arsenal manager.
2: <laughs>
0: well, the, I thought you you said the Troy quotes after the game are interesting, Miguel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, what do you mean by that? Well, well, first of
1: all, I was. We basically said he kind of we, we we realized again. I'm paraphrasing here because I can't remember the exact wording.
0: It was If you get, get into them yeah, early, yeah.
1: he said by the first challenge, you know, and he, and he he was he was even naming players. You know, Mertesacker, I, I was seeing. Now you could you can understand why players don't speak as candidly as that because. If it's out in public, then there's more of a chance it'll bite them back. Or then for the next
0: game they play, yeah, the, yeah. these
1: teams are going to be super motivated and they can rub in their
0: face. There's actually very little but upside to saying what he said.
1: D- yeah, that's yeah. exactly, other than, other than people like us, who are irrelevant, yeah, <laughs> you know, <yeah>. praising him.
0: <laughs> no, but I, I think it's enjoyable because it's something that people have always said about Arsenal. But, you know, now you get a player coming out and saying it, who's still active, well, well, where you get a lot of former players who'd say it. but,
1: but What's really good about it is that essentially it's, you you know it's exactly what's said in the Watford dressing room before the game, probably in just in, in coarser terms.
0: And you want to go and see Watford against Chelsea next week, Jonathan? That's an interesting story in itself, just because you know they, they're just one of the the almost like there's a, a bunch of mid-table clubs in the Premier League who could have finished anywhere from twentieth up to to eighth or ninth, you think? But they're currently what top four so and, top and four looking very good on Marco Silver.
2: Yeah, and I mean I think what what Silver is as. Done this season, um, and it's quite similar to what what he did at Hull. He, he's kind of got them into a fighting unit, and y- you can you can draw a line between that late goal, other late goals that they've scored very recently, uh, including against against Liverpool, for example. They've been scoring a lot of late goals recently. They seem a lot fitter and stronger, uh, and if, if if you see what Dooney says about making making a fight, that's what Silva did at Hull as well. He kind of of primed them and I don't know what, what he's slipping into their drinks but they, they, <laughs> they do seem to be a lot tougher a lot more physical they seem to be going a lot further and yeah I mean big game on Saturday it's what, what sixth feet fourth
0: well, it's, uh, the thing with Silver, I never a lot of people I remember saying in the summer that it was ridiculous that he didn't enhance his reputation so much but still got Hull relegated mm. but that is fully focusing on the result and not the process yeah, the yeah. process if you watch what Hull were doing last season they were a much much better team when he was there and uh, they did go down in in kind of embarrassing fashion, losing four them at Palace. But the the actual change after he took over, and he's a highly rated coach anyway, from what he did with Estoril, which Jack Pitbrook has written about at length. Um, but he he could be, you know, and the difference, I guess, is Palace were interested in him, and he obviously wanted a release clause and, and stepping stone, and those conversations didn't go so far. He went to Watford, who are. Basically, have always marketed themselves as a stepping stone, mm. um, and you start to feel like, it, you know, that is how it's going to turn out. Because if if you're a mid-table club and your manager does really well, what happens is you lose him. Yeah, yeah. And you know, would it be a surprise if Everton sat Ronald Koeman that they'd be interested in Marco Silva? And
1: I'd actually have Watford to finish seven at the moment. If if we um, presume that the top six is going to remain the same,
0: so there's an outside chance of a Europa League yeah. spot depending on the cups, right? Yeah, and that and that would be huge for for a club like Watford. Um, and I well, think that's actually, although there could be, if Udinese qualify for Europe, isn't there? Wouldn't there be some difficulty
1: then over the The owners have to choose who.
0: It seems like a story you could start writing now and just <laughs> update it over the season, depending <laughs> on. You know, if if, if Udinese. Yeah, it is, um, it is a thing because they sold Granada to yeah. uh, the Chinese, but they do still own Udinese and Watford. So, yeah, you can't have both clubs in. You, I mean, they couldn't pull a, a Red Bull and pretend that, mm. you know, it, everyone knows this is very much, they're both potso <laughs> enterprises. Yeah. So. Um, I think it would be interesting to to see that because, you know, occasionally we've had these these clubs that get into the European spots, Bolton, we've had Stoke, yeah. Wigan, uh did it via the Cup, Portsmouth. I I think it, it is interesting because it it diversifies the sort of clubs we're sending and it's it's fine. But I think what we're seeing with Watford is that they're a more modern club behind the scenes than you'd expect from going to their stadium. Yeah. Um they've got a huge scouting network via the Potso network of clubs um, and they're actually running quite a smart manner like we said it uh, during the summer how good their transfer business was um, but they basically managed to brilliantly scout a manager brilliantly scout a lot of players which is what clubs like even Southampton who were previously kind of that seventh club mm. have failed to do is it's starting to look a little bit like Mauricio Pellegrino it wasn't the answer they were looking yeah. for and after Claude Puel you know you start asking questions like two, two duds in a row possibly uh, down the line, is is Les Reed going to have to reassess what he's what he's doing there? I just think it's interesting that Watford have been the bounce back club when no one really expected it.
2: What, what Watford seem to have done, what Watford seemed to have done, really quite efficiently, and I think that very few clubs have seemed to have grasped is that it's not run like a like a regular business. That they, they've almost embraced the short termism of football. If you're running a regular company like like Boots or, or Mark Marks and Spencer or ICI, you can't get relegated. And so, if you're if you're planning, you, you can plan for the long term. in In Premier League football, in a way, planning any further than the season ahead is is almost sort of reckless. And what they've done and and is they've essentially split up the future into season by season little blocks, and they don't really look too much further. You know, the, if they make the Europa League next season. We can probably assume it. it won't be with Marco Silva as manager. It won't be with about 20 of their first team squad. And that's what a lot of teams are actually haven't quite grasped yet, that nothing really matters except the next eight or nine months because your best laid business plan can completely go to pot.
0: Mm. Actually, we said this about Palace with De Boer, is it's the obsession with finding a long-term manager that comes around because of people look at, Sir Alex Ferguson and, and yeah. Arsene Wenger and Days stuff.
1: 20 years after Italy, England has kind of finally caught up in terms of where short managerial reigns are now the norm.
0: I think it is a, you know, whether it's the short termism, whatever, but it is just the fact like um, in American sports, you can plan ahead because they're franchises with no, mm. no relegation. And, there are, and, and the thing is, it's funny because you say it in the summer, you're like, you know, we want Frank DeBoer to come in and be the manager for four years and improve the football and all these things. And then you realise after two months you don't want that at all. Mm. And, and does it matter if Roy Hodgson's only in charge at Palace for two years if he keeps him in the Premier League and secures him in the table? If Marco Silva takes Watford into Europe, does it matter that they only had him for one season? Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, it's the same with players. A lot of players now you're buying and you're thinking, what would, you know, because when they sign the contracts, a lot of them want release clauses now. So you're saying, what would his value potentially be in two years, three years' time that we'd be happy selling him for? So I think the, the short-termism thing is, as raised by Johnny, is, is pretty interesting because if more clubs did it, I, I, th- I feel like the, the chances of them completely screwing it up is also quite high. But they've managed to nail it, which mm. is the key. The,
2: the one thing that, that that could really throw a spanner in the works is what the fans... Think of it, because fans like a lot. Yeah. Like a, they like characters; they like to be well, able to identify. I, I,
0: I was thinking that, did, yeah, exactly. They did hold on to Deeney resolutely.
1: Yeah, well, Deeney is essentially the identity of that club. He he is, he's Watford personified now at this point. But
0: yeah, because I mean, he was on uh, when Leicester were champions as well. They were going real hard to get mm. him, like 30 odd million pounds, and they said no, no, no. They were kept saying it, no, no, no. But again, Watford's a club that's given him a big chance. Uh, yeah. So I, I kind of see it from from both angles. But, yeah, the, the problem is if Dini does go at some point and there's no one that the fans can relate to. Yeah, yeah. Because if you just have a revolving door of players, and, and I've seen that uh, certainly in, um, in Spain, there, there are some clubs who, yeah. when you just... They're all just mercenaries and, and they don't care. And, and to an extent, I know every player is a mercenary, but you need it, to have... It's a, on a spectrum. Like, you uh, need d- to have a connection between... Yeah. And, and sorry to go back to Palace again for like the 100th time this podcast. Julian Spironi started on on Saturday against Chelsea because Wayne Hennessy was injured against Ireland um in the World Cup yeah. playoff and Ireland,
1: Ireland's famous victory.
0: Yes, and Spironi was era, Speroni, yeah. Yeah. Speroni was so good. Um even though he's he's you know he's an okay keeper, he's better than Hennessy mm-hmm. but he's an okay keeper. But the fans love him. Yeah. He's been there for fourteen, thirteen, fourteen 13 14 years now and even if he made a mistake, the fans would forgive him. When the ball goes back to Hennessy, there's like a sharp intake of breath mm, yeah. from everyone because they don't trust him as a goalkeeper. And, and if he drops a ball, there's kind of like a, a an outburst from, yeah, the, yeah. from the crowd behind him. So it is important because even Julian knows that he's got the fans behind him, whatever happens, if he, even if he drops a ball like, you know, from yeah, a corner. Yeah. Are we allowed to say that in the show? Yeah, it's fine, it's fine. I mean,
2: that's the same the same mistake that Spironi makes and, and Hennessy makes. Spironi will get a little bit more latitude, he says, yeah. because, because, the, you know, he's, he's part of the furniture, literally, given, given his, his movement these days. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> well, he's got a restaurant named after him at the club. I mean,
1: those wine bottles they advertise in the, um, on, the on the team sheets, Speroni's Wine
0: is, uh, that's at Spironi's restaurant, yeah, in, in mm-hmm. the club. He actually, uh, confusingly, owns his own restaurant as well. Okay. Uh, down the road. Gets slowly worse with age. Hey. <laughs> but, well, <laughs> uh, well, um, Steve Broward, the one of the co-owners of Palace, has actually got a smaller piece now, but he helped save the club in 2010, and he made all his money in fine mm. wine. So that's why there's a lot of wine and craft ale emphasis at Palace. And he- T- Fits the club. He found yeah. uh, a Zaha Malbec, yeah. From Argentina, which he presented to Wilf. <laughs> Wilf doesn't actually drink, so he gave it to yeah. his dad. But uh, I thought it was a nice story. Um, and I think, to be honest, we've probably gone on way too long. So, apart from anything else, I'm going to say thank you to producer Matt Murphy. Uh, thank you to our friends at ACAST who produce. Next week, we're actually going to have a mailbag with uh, loads of reader questions. So please get them in. Um, if you leave them in the review section on iTunes uh, with a five star review, then I can guarantee that I will definitely read your question out. If not, then uh, send them to us by the usual. Uh, ways uh, miguel.delaney at independent.co.uk um, or send them to Miguel on Twitter with the hashtag uh, IFP Indie Football Podcast and uh, we yeah because you're in charge of that so uh, Miguel's mailbag next week and uh, I'll talk to you then <laughs>